all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and this is Relatively Speaking. I am talking to you this morning and hope you'll join the conversation about childhood adversity. I want people to start listening to what we know. I know I've talked about this in the past, but it seems sometimes that that people aren't listening. So I want you to listen today. Um, what happens to you as a child affects the way you end up as an adult more than you think, more than you can even imagine. I'm going to talk to you today about how adverse childhood events shape mood and behavior. That makes a lot of sense, but what we've learned from a long-term study is that those negative effects also wreak havoc on physical health, your educational level, the overall income and life expectancy. Now, why is this so important? It's important because if we don't do anything soon... If we don't do anything, if we don't intervene, what's happening to our children may mean that we are going to continue to have the instances that we have been having, the school shootings, the negative effects, everything that's going on, the negative outcome. Um, Honestly, these individuals who create heinous acts, who create the um, acts that have been going on, didn't just all of the sudden become this individual. It was something that started early on. And research shows that the prevalence of specific adverse childhood offense that occur can affect the way you end up as an adult or the way you end up as a teenager who perhaps feels so hopeless or so angry or so unable to figure out how to to deal with something that's going on in their life that all they know is violence. And so if I sound a little frustrated, it's because I am. And I am hoping that those of you who are listening today can help us, one, discuss what we need to do, two, know that there are some things that we can do, and and start speaking out. Speak out to other people in your community. Speak out to the people who make the laws. Speak out um, to the individuals that you think are doing something inappropriate. Stand up a little bit. Um, I want you to to give us a call, join in, share your comments, share your experiences perhaps of something that happened to you when someone didn't intervene. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. You don't have to tell us your name if you don't want to, but it's time that we quit finger pointing and we start standing up for what we know we need to do. And what what we know we need to do, the research is there, the data are there. What we need to do is start very, very early protecting our children. We need to work on it when they're inside their mother's womb by making sure nutrition's good, health care's good, that there's not smoking, there's not alcohol, there are not other drugs during pregnancy. But beyond that, there are lots of other things that we can do that we are not doing. We are allowing children 
to live in adverse situations. We are allowing children to live in poverty without good intervention. We are allowing the powers that be um, not to have implement early childhood education so that if parents don't know how to help their children, perhaps there's someone out there in schools who can help, who can talk to the children, who can watch after, who can nurture. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's wrong to say it's all up to the home because there's some homes who are not equipped to do it. So you can give us a call, join the conversation. That's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So let me, I know I've talked about this in the past on radio, um, on this very show about the adverse childhood events study, the Kaiser Permanente study that was done in, in Southern California many years ago. And there have been lots of follow-up studies since then um, looking at outcomes. And so let me remind you or tell you, if you haven't heard about the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Events Study, um, there were over 40,000 individuals in, in uh, middle-class jobs at Kaiser Permanente, and they interviewed these 40,000 people. They had them fill out surveys. And, and the surveys were pretty, pretty extensive, um, asking questions about what was going on presently with their alcohol intake, smoking, with their um, present marital status, their relationships with others. It was a very extensive interview as an adult. Then it moved into asking individuals what happened to them as a child. What, what was their life like? Were they in domestic violence? Were they kicked, slapped, hit um, by someone in the household? Was it a repeated incident or was it isolated? Did they live in a household where someone attempted suicide or succeeded in committing suicide? Were there parents with mental illness? Were there individuals with significant chronic illnesses or health issues? Was there food insecurity? Was there poverty? So they looked at, there were 10 specific ACE um, parameters. And then, and then, They um, looked at ultimate outcome from these individuals, um, and what they found was that if an individual had three or more of those adverse events that happened to them as a child, um, and there were several others, if you have any questions about what kind of questions they asked, I'll certainly be happy to answer that. But if a person... Well, if a person had four or more adverse childhood experiences, they were over two times as likely to have heart disease, two and a half times as likely to have a stroke, twice as likely to have cancer, and one and a half times as likely to have diabetes. Now it keeps going. If you if you if you look at the the ACE related odds of having a physical condition, um, if you have zero ACEs, um, say that's a hundred percent likelihood. If you have four or more, you had a two hundred and thirty six percent increased risk of having arthritis, asthma. Um, even more than that, almost four times as likely to have uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, a heart attack, twice as uh, 200% uh, likely, heart disease, the same thing, kidney disease, the same thing, stroke, um, even visual deficits. Now, for mood disorders, um, the incidence is even higher, but What I'm trying to tell you is that our whole adult world is affected by what happens to us as children. So why aren't we paying attention to this? Can somebody out there answer me why we don't want 
to put money into early childhood education and early childhood intervention. Please call me and tell me why at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 If I sound um, anxious, upset, and frustrated, it's because I am. How many more school shootings do we have to have? How many more horrible incidences do we have to have before people take notice? And is there a quick fix? Maybe there's um, somewhat of a quick fix. And yeah, we probably do need to protect entrances to our schools. That'll probably help immediately. Um I know somebody made the comment in the news, we don't want to make our schools like fortresses, but um, gosh, maybe we do. But why are we there? Why are we, why are we at this point? Um, anybody could work, walk into the school when I was in school, and we didn't have these issues. Why are we where we are now? Um, so I... I'll tell you more data about this as we move along, um, but what what I want to talk about is that there are some places, states out there who have who have worked on trying to make changes, trying to make interventions, and it really has worked. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. So it's not all negative. There's some positives that can happen. But first, we have to get the majority of individuals to take note. And I'm talking about taking note in our state, in Mississippi, in our surrounding states. Those of you who are listening from Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, I know you're out there. And so if you have some thoughts and ideas, I want to hear about it. Um, and and if you have some questions about the, the reality of the statistics, I'll certainly tell you about it. Before we go to our first break, I, I see we have our first caller, and I want to hear from Bob in Jackson and hear what Bob has to say. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for calling. Good morning, Dr. Buttress. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, yeah. You can hear my frustration, though, I know. Oh, look, it's shared by all of us. Well, and, thank um, you. There's no, no use for it, you know. I mean, there's no sense in, in all of that stuff. i tell you what, um, it's going to take intervention at many levels, one at a national level and one at a local level and somewhere in between, and there's got to be strategies for all of it. And... Um, you know, I tell you, you asked the question, why isn't more money going to early intervention? Well, and I want to say something that will be very unpopular, but it's the truth. It's being sucked up by the military. What do we have? The need for, for 700 and something bases around the world. And uh, all these buildings, if you go onto any base, you will see so much waste, so many buildings that are empty, brand new, all this stuff. If you took the money from just one of these fighter jets, or one of these bases, if you instead diverted money from there to early intervention, you'd get a lot of this stuff solved. But we're just sewing it down the tubes. And see, no one wants to question the military. They give them a blank check. You know, but look, there's where a lot of our money's going, and the Founding Fathers warned of it. Standing Army, it will deplete all of your resources. So, I mean, that's one thing. If we redirect our resources, if we give a lot of people an outlet, to express themselves, I mean, it just comes down to people being empathetic and lending an ear and seeking first to understand and then be understood. If we adopt that attitude, we could get somewhere instead of pretending that any one of us knows it all. So that's just my two cents worth. Oh, thank you, Bob, for for that two cents worth. So, so there are a lot of military expenditures out there going on. How much of that is really necessary? We also know that um, we've seen a lot. Gosh, the numbers! I, I haven't reviewed them in a long time, but um, there were some numbers that came out of some of the Pentagon expenditures that uh, showed incredible waste out there, where you were paying some unbelievable uh, dollar amount for a box of Kleenexes or paper clips or whatever. We know that happens everywhere. And if we would um, look at, at the waste 
um, we still probably have plenty of money for an adequate army um, and and all. So, but you said something else, and um, that. Uh, the seek to understand, the seek to understand what's going on so that then we can, um, extrapolating from there, then we can have a good solution is something important for us to look at. So, Bob, thanks so much for starting off the conversation. Um, how I'm going to I've decided I'm staying on these phones um, because we have some callers I want to go ahead and get to. Um, Patty in Water Valley. Patty, you have a comment about mental illness, which, yes, is um, an issue. I I wanted to make a couple of comments. I'll I'll start with what I think could be done to maybe help it. One is uh, I think as far as security for the schools, you know, and also for getting guns that, like certain states, have very strict guidelines. If you purchase a gun, I think they have to wait 72 hours to find out whether a person has a mental health issue or has committed a crime. But the biggest thing that I keep feeling in my gut, because this is this seems to have happened for the past 20 years, and I do feel that even though it's a great tool, I feel like... Uh, our social media is both a good thing and a bad thing because what it does is it dulls out opinions. If I looked at what this child had said on his social media and immediately I said, this kid was screaming for attention. Right. Um, and, and I said, nobody paid attention to it because people write really crazy stuff online all the time and they just kind of eh, let it go. The other thing is, I, I watched the people today on the news who were taking care of this young man, and apparently he had more than one account. And because they're not, they're like me, I'm kind of a Luddite online, they only knew about one account. They did not know about the account where he was saying all of these very disturbing things. Mm-hmm. And he was also behaving fairly well in their house. He 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 uh, went by the rules. He did what he was supposed to do, but he was troubled. And so they didn't see the edgy side of him. And then this is a very sad comment to make. And again, it's because I had worked in mental health uh, many years ago. But there are times when people are going to do what they're going to do, regardless of how much counseling you give them. And um, I've told this to a few friends because they get so crazy about this. But uh, where I was working, which was up in the north, we had a young man who was feeling both homicidal and suicidal. Mm-hmm. He came into emergency services. He stayed with emergency services for probably six hours talking. And then he said to the emergency services worker that he felt better. And he ended up doing just the thing he said he was going to do. So there are times where people are so desperate that they still will commit these acts because they know in their hearts that maybe they feel completely lost at that point. And that's a really sad fact. But I think that the thing that really gets to me, I do think social media has a lot to do with people's emotions being dulled out. I don't think people pay attention to it because people say horrible things online and they just kind of go, oh, yeah, it's just another nasty comment or whatever. You know, I'm still sensitive to those things. I don't like them. But I think a lot of people who have grown up with this, because kids did hear some of his comments, and yet everybody was like, yeah, well, we knew he was saying this stuff, but, you know, they didn't really... Yeah, why didn't we why didn't we do something? Why didn't somebody intervene? And you know, I think our producer asked the question as we were talking about the show before we started. Jay White said it is is part of it that we don't want to infringe on people's rights? Is that what's going on? Are we Sometimes so I terrified? Think I think people do worry about people's privacy because yeah. Look at the horrible incident that happened over a month ago with the family of 14 who had been abusing their children. It was like nobody, no, people saw weird clues, but again, didn't want to get involved because we're private people. People in the United States are kind of private. Uh, I think in the South, they're a little more sociable but in the North and, the, and in other areas of the country. They're kind of private and they kind of like, I mind my business and I, uh, I'm i not going to pay attention. Maybe yeah. they're a little weird, but that's none of my business. 
But this is just so sad because hearing this family this morning, I mean, they were so brokenhearted. They're angry and they're sad. But again, this child so, showed no intense signs in their company of what he was feeling. And, yeah. and that's a hard thing. You don't know what's inside of somebody's head, even his friends. Yeah, and... So I, and um... I I agree with you, Patty, and and it it is very hard sometimes, but I think if people overall would open their eyes and see, this kid was expelled from a school. He had behavior that was significant enough to get him expelled, and and there was clearly not enough intervention going on for him. I mean, he was going to counseling, apparently, but I don't think he stayed with it. Right. And... um, which is Again, in the look, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. That's okay. Um, but the, when I saw the one Instagram message, it completely freaked me out. It was so upsetting to me. I said, no one saw this kid. He's like, he is screaming, like, pay attention to me. Well, somebody from Mississippi did, which is interesting, and reported it. And still there was nothing done. So, Patty, I think your overall, your point is a good one. Um, a lot of times uh, there are individuals who who have shown signs in their mental, uh, mentally unstable in ways and need help. Um, I guess my point is, yes, this is growing. It's out there. We need to start from the ground up to help while we're intervening um, on the individuals that already have had damage done to them. So I appreciate your call, Patty, and thank you for working in mental health. We need more individuals out there who have, have done so. Um, let's stay on the lines. Let's go to Emmett and Pass Christiane. Hello, can you hear me? I can. Thank you, Emmett, for calling in. Oh, thank you. I, that's the first thing I want to do is thank you for taking this on because most people don't have the intestinal fortitude to address <laughs> something like it's a very serious problem. Um, the uh, I recently had uh, total knee replacement. So I was in post-op rehab, not able to move around very much. I had spent a lot of time finding ways to pass the time. And I discovered the most wonderful thing, TED Talks. Ah, yes. Anything you have a question about, you can find an excellent instructor who is talking about that particular thing. And there's a 14-minute talk. It's called Everything You Think You Know About Addiction is Wrong. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he speaks of... He speaks of the fact that almost 90% of the people that have serious addiction problems have childhood trauma. Yes. Some sort of trauma in their life, whether it's from childhood, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome from combat or whatever it is, it's caused by the, uh, and oftentimes they don't even have a conscious memory of what happened to them, you know, that makes them sad, that makes them confused. But one of the things that it, there is a glimmer of hope. Every person that's willing to get a psychiatrist, counselor, whoever, somebody they trust. Actually, I think it takes all three: a psychiatrist, a counselor, and a clergy person, and you know, work with that person. They can be completely cured of their addictions if they if they can get to the root of the addictions. And uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, it's uh but, you know, as far as, you know, I know, it's the idea that, and you're right, there are a lot of people that just don't seem to want to look for any, addressing the problem at its source. They, they're working their agenda. And, and a lot of them, I think you previously mentioned, are just too afraid that it's so politically incorrect to talk about how somebody's crazy or whatever, and they may be right to that extent. However, you will notice that there are a lot of schools in America and they've never had a school shooting in them. And that's the private and parochial schools because they have armed guards. Shooters don't go places where there are armed guards. They go places where they can have a high body count. So that, how sad is that, Emmett, that we have to have armed guards? Um, and I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. And, and I, I, I think you've said uh, several things that have, have made great sense. I, I guess what we, I keep 
hoping, hoping is that we can get back to the point where we don't have to talk about protecting our school's entrances and access. I think we do now, um, but we're in a really bad place. Um, Patty just mentioned earlier one one of our issues is is that. So many times we're we're out there not intervening when we need to intervene, and um, we need to do it earlier. We need to open our eyes, and perhaps the media is uh, to blame as far as not the media in general because we're using media right now, but the the media that has so much violent the violent video games, the teaching people to kill, the the fact that any Anybody now can have a forum, whether they make sense or not. They can get their thoughts out there. Um, we've got to do something to better control that. But um, we also have talked about hope, and we're going to go ahead and take our first break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the solutions. I see we have Rick and Bob on the lines holding y'all wait. Um, We're going to talk about some of our solutions when we come back. If you want to join the conversation, I hope you will. I hope we mount some effort here. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877-672-7464 or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org This is Relatively Speaking and we're talking about adverse child events and what we should be doing about them. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and this is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about... What happens to a child when they're young, um, in, even in infancy, has an amazing amount of influence on what you turn out to be as an adult. That means not just with your mental health or your behavioral health, but with your education level, with your physical health, um, increased risk, and all these diseases we are continually trying to combat, obesity, asthma, allergies, um, heart disease, stroke, all of those things, believe it or not, can be prevented if we take better care of our children in their very young developing stage. Why don't we get that? Why won't we do something? There are studies out there that show it. That's my question. Well, we're going back to the phone lines. We have Rick in Grand Bay. Rick, thanks for holding for a while. Good morning. Good morning. You know, 20 years ago, man walked into a school in Dumblay, primary school murdered 16 children and, and a teacher. Mm-hmm. They banned guns. No more shootings. They did the same, same thing in England. They did the same thing in New Zealand. They did the same thing in Australia. The problem is not, we don't, we don't corner the market of mental illness. No. Like we're the only world that has, the only part of the world that has mental illness. The, the college report says, Shooters don't don't attack places where there's where there's armed guards. Columbine was armed. Las Vegas was armed. Fort Hood was armed. The problem with it is is that we are we are fifty seven percent of our nation's nation's budget goes out the military. How do you how do I, what happens when we decide like the Bible says that they will they'll they'll they'll, they'll pound their uh, spears into plowshares. What are we going to do then? Yeah. We escalated this problem. We keep on getting bigger toys. Everybody else has to get bigger toys. It's like nuclear rate. Everybody had to have the bomb because we had the bomb. Everybody wants to get a bigger bomb. 
Now we complain about people who want to get a bomb because we, because, because, uh, you know. We I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, Rick, um, Rick, I, I understand what you're saying, and um, I think you're, you've brought out some good points here. Um, one, one issue that we um, have to remember, I think, is that totally banning guns is something that won't happen, but something needs to happen um, to have better control and better safety. Again, yes, guns kill people, and yes, people kill people. I don't want to have that discussion. The issue is that we've got some disturbed people out there who who want to kill people and and what is making that develop and why are we continuing to have what seems to be an escalating issue there so rick thanks for your call and and your thoughts let's move on to bob in jackson bob you say the word solutions i'm hoping you have some good solutions for us I have a solution, uh, but let's touch on education first. Okay. Uh, part of the problem is that parents want to think that it's an individual child problem, and it's not. Um, we need to better fund schools, and it probably needs to be done on a national level because letting each state set its own goals is, is not working. So we set a fixed amount per child and educate the children. And if you feel that your child is going to an inadequate school, then you need to call your congressman. You need to get involved. You need to do something so that all boats are raised by the rising tide. You know, you can't pull right. your money out and put your kid in and use that money to, to supplement uh, whatever funds you come up with to educate your child privately. Because it's not about your child getting a good education. It's about the next generation getting a good education. Absolutely. And when you pull your child out, I understand wanting to protect your child and supply good education for them. But look at all the kids who get left behind because they don't have a parent advocating for them because the parents don't know. So many parents don't understand that they they really can speak out. We spend a lot of time in our office at the center um, teaching parents how to advocate for their child. Important. Now, solution for the mass shootings. Okay. This this is oh, this is going to raise some hackles. Uh, if you notice, a lot of the mass shootings aren't planned way ahead. It's somebody who went out and got a gun last week, maybe a year ago, and suddenly impulsively goes and, and, and commits this crime. One solution would be to, starting right now, restrict the sale of select firearms, say magazine-fed uh semi-automatic rifles that fire a major caliber. You know, just just fine-tune the description however you need to. Restrict sales. If you want one, $200 transfer tax, just like an automatic weapon, and they keep track of it. All the existing firearms are grandfathered in. You can keep it, but you have to buy a tax stamp. There's no federal record of this tax stamp, but if you're in public, you have this tax stamp that you have to renew every year. Now, if you don't want to buy tax stamps for your arsenal, fine. Keep them at home. But if you show up at the firearm, uh, the firing range or out in public and you don't have a tax stamp, it's confiscated. You don't get it back. Sounds and like you've got a great plan out there. I've got a plan, a plan it whether it's perfect or not. So, it would um, solve the yeah, problem until yeah. we could figure out a better solution. It doesn't have to be a permanent solution, but if you want a firearm and your buddy who already has one wants to sell you his, now, of course, it's going to be worth a lot more than it was before. And if he wants to sell it to you, fine. You both go to a gun shop, you sell it through the gun shop. The people who own the firearms are at that point going to, are going to be very careful about how securely they're kept and what happens to them. They're not going to lend them out very easily. So you leverage the existing gun owners to help solve the problem. Well, they're that's keeping firearms out of the hands of people who aren't qualified yeah. to hold them. I, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, the comment will be made, I'm sure, and follow up. So I'll say it for everybody who's going to say that, is that, um, you know, uh, bad people often steal guns, get guns. Um, and you're saying perhaps better security and the like. All of that is good. I 
agree with you. I'm not sure why somebody needs an automatic weapon. I'm just, I can't get there. Who needs an automatic weapon out there? If there's an individual out there who tells me why you need an automatic weapon to hunt with or to target shoot with or whatever, um, I, I, I hope you have a really good reason because you are you are allowing those weapons to be sold out on the market to be maybe stolen, um, but they're out there so that other people can get their hands on them, either legally or illegally. So... There has to be something done. I'm tired of hearing all the arguments about infringing on rights. The same thing has happened. I have heard the same comment about infringing on individuals' rights by not requiring parents to put their children in kindergarten in our state of Mississippi. We do not yet have mandatory kindergarten because we don't want to infringe on people's rights. Well, we already have mandatory school. Why not start when we can make an even bigger difference for four and five-year-olds rather than at six. So, um, Bob, thanks for your call. It sounds like you have a plan. Um, I hope somebody listens to some kind of plan so we can do something different than what we're doing. Let's go to um, Jim in um, Brooklyn. Jim, you have a comment about five minutes of fame. Talk to us. Yeah, well, to elaborate a little um, on um, Bob and what he was saying, why people, you were asked, why would people own these automatic weapons? Ego, I think. Uh, you know, I just got right. to have one and, and show everybody what, you know, a man I am. Uh, I also think to elaborate a little on Bob, but, uh, have a buyback on these weapons. And if you choose to keep them, then if your weapon is ever used in a commission of a crime, then you will be charged as much as the and punished as the person who used your weapon in that crime. That's got to put a pretty good deterrent. You're not taking away the right to own the gun. You're just making it so hot that you don't want to own it. My five, wow. fame, my, five, my five minutes of fame would be a lot of these young people, Nicholas uh, Cruz, they want, it, they want their five minutes of fame. They get it. The news just goes over and over and over, repeating their name, what they've done, but they never follow up on what, what happens to him after he's been in a year, uh, a year in prison. Well, how about ten years in prison? Uh, yeah, these kids, are, these kids, you know, are they being sexually abused in prison? I bet you they are. I bet you you won't find a single one that says, "I like prison life, and I don't ever want to be free." You know, and, and, and if they if uh, it was added on the news, a, a short story once a week, some sort of a documentary about how. You know, one one person had committed these crimes. What his life was like now, uh, you know, because the 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 the, the games, the gaming there with the video games, it's just all get you all excited, but you don't ever follow through on on what's happened after you get caught and go to jail and yeah. into prison. Good That's point. The- Yeah, good point, Jim. I thought for a while the news media was going to stop focusing on the individuals who committed the crime because they did. They got five minutes of fame. They got hours and hours of fame, actually. Um, And so, um, you know, we always say in behavioral medicine, um, even negative attention is better than no attention at all. And so perhaps that's something that is uh, we need to keep in mind. So thanks for your call, Jim. Um, I, I think uh, your point is good. We ought to have follow-up on what happened um, once the punishment happened for these individuals. Well, let's go next. Brenda, you have been so very patient waiting uh, in Sardis uh, to talk about early intervention. I want to hear what you have to say. Yes, I think that uh, every child should be followed from the time that they leave the hospital at birth, and the parents should be counseled on, on how to raise a child, how to put in a positive attitude, how to love the child, take care of it, and protect it, and uh, there should be someone that's following the child uh, up through, let's say, 10 years old uh, to protect the child. Now, I know we're a long way from that, funding that, but I know that there are 
people, uh, social workers who go out now for the very poor, like a teenage girl that's gotten pregnant and brings the baby home and will help and make sure everything is going all right at the beginning. But it's not just the poor that abuse children. Uh, it's, it's the very rich abuse children as well as the middle class. And then this trauma goes all the way through their lives, like you had mentioned earlier. So it, it seems like if we had uh, some type of, of uh, intervention where we knew what maybe could watch and, uh, and help with everyone in the community, uh, making sure a child grows to be mentally healthy. Yeah. Brenda, I, I want to thank you so much for bringing up something that I wanted to make a point of. And, and you, have, you have hit to the crux of the matter. What has happened in our society in the United States today? Often um, young parents, new parents, don't have anybody to help them raise their child. If they happen to have a difficult child they're trying to raise, a child who cries a lot, a child who's not feeding like they think they should be feeding, a, a child who throws a temper tantrum and, and parents' nerves are already frayed, they don't have anybody to help them. There are clear studies, and other countries do it. Amsterdam, Holland does a wonderful job of this. Other areas of the world do home visits. Children get sent home, and they have um, a health care provider who goes in and, and visits. How's, how are feedings going, they ask. They ask about early child development. Are there any concerns? Let me talk to you about how you can help your child's development along. There are there are clear data. I keep saying this. It's out there that tell us what we need to do if people will just fund it. So home visits um, are very helpful. They've been shown to make a huge difference. So, so Brenda, um, thanks for that. Thanks for calling in. And, and I hope you will be one of those who calls your legislators and speaks out to others about why we need to put funding in projects such as that. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for calling. Okay, let's go on to Savannah, who's on the Gulf Coast with some comments. Savannah, good morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Um, the lady that just spoke um, had wonderful points. And yes. what I have to say is, is kind of that reduced. Um, it seems to me that so many of our social problems, um, everything from early teenage pregnancies uh, and certainly abuse, you know, chemical abuses, um, domestic abuse, all of that stuff somehow is anchored in anger management, and we don't really have anything that I, I mean, I know that our social systems are stretched to the max, obviously, and then beyond. But if we could have, if we could use our social, our media systems more effectively to give people that don't have, because the people who have the least amount of money have the least amount of access to the kind of education they need for anger management. Oh, gosh, you have made a point that I meant to bring up on one of our previous callers. Accessing mental health is one of those issues that has has we keep talking about mental health parity mental health parity and that you know if you get uh if you have physical health coverage you should also have mental health coverage well the fact is is that because mental health behavioral health has been so poorly funded over the years and such less attention has gone into that and that it is by far easier to get help for um, fixing something surgically or um, fixing something medically for something other than the brain. There's so much more funding out there for that, that it's it's next to impossible when somebody needs help to really get it and get it quickly. So that is one of those points that, again, if we're going to speak out about something, let's keep speaking out about 
early intervention, and then to make sure we have parity there, that we really treat people who have a mental behavioral illness just as if they had diabetes or COPD, something that needs treatment and it needs it now. So, Savannah, thanks for your call. I appreciate you bringing that up. We're going to stay on the phones because I think Susan in Hattiesburg has a comment that I want to hear. Susan, good morning. Thanks for calling. Good morning. This is a, of course, multifaceted problem, but I'd like to speak to it from my area of expertise, which is an elementary school educator. Uh There are so many problems. We've had district attorneys come out and talk to us about, oh, you know these boys and girls, you know who's going to become violent and so forth. But if our schools had funding and for enough counselors to help these children, I know it's in second grade the anger issues and, and there's nobody to help them. There may be one. We had a, um, 1,200 students and we've got one and a half guidance counselors. Not that enough. Is, Not enough. Yeah. I suggested just a Monday a Monday morning program, even if you're from a great home, but you're a divorced kid, they come in so sad and all that. Just, just to have a club for that, I couldn't even get that to go. So there's just so much violence and anger and so forth, and there's no resources. And if, if people knew that, everybody, there ought to be quadruple the number of counselors. Yep. That's my two cents. Thank you. Great two cents, Susan. Don't give up. That's a great idea for a Monday morning session. Uh, Surely somebody will listen to that now. Let me tell you, we're going to stay on the phones, but let me tell you, one of the solutions for, for children who are in adversity and can't get out of it is to have somebody in their life. And often it's somebody at the school who they can identify with, who, who is nurturing and supportive to them. So if, if keep that in mind, having, having an individual. So if a child has a terrible home situation, at least they can go to the school and have somebody be there for them at the school. So um, don't give up, Susan. Stay with it. And I love your idea about Monday morning support. Okay, um, we've got three more callers. I'm going to try to get to them. Willie and Starkville, you have a concern about something? Yeah, yes, I, I wanted to uh, to pick up on, on your very thrust and the last comments that we need funding. That the, uh, the students, I think, at the Stoneman, from the Stoneman Doug, Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, uh, are planning a march. What we need is to get all the young people, get the young people and the families behind them uh, in Sandy Hook in, uh, in Newton, Connecticut, and, and only people like you who, who have, have access to, to, to television and the airways uh, can, can initiate uh, this movement to, to get all the young people in the country from every high school in the country to be marching and, and complaining to, to voices, making their voice heard in Washington because that's where the funding has got to come from. And we have to start a movement with thousands yes. of, of young people to, to create this possibility. Otherwise, it, it's going to stay dead on the vine like it has for the past 30 years. It's just abysmal. It is. It so, is, Willie. And, and I think your, your point is so good. And what a great place to use media. Um, you know, a hashtag, get involved. It's time to make changes. Something. Um, so, so thanks for bringing that up. And I agree with you. It's our young people who will be able to help us make a difference. Um, let's go to Georgia now in Jackson. Georgia, you have a comment about parenting? Hello, how are you? Great, thanks for calling. Um, all right, I, I really enjoy the conversation. Thank you. But, and my parents, I never saw my parents in conflict with anyone, never even been in a fight with anyone before. I always tried to manage to negotiate a peaceful relationship. Children are like sponges, and for the richest country, a society to have to leave the let the mother leave the babies within six weeks of birth to go out and make money to buy things and stuff. Babies are like sponges. Children are like sponges. 
If it were left up to me, a child would not be separated from its mother before it's five years of age because so much human development takes place during that period of time. It does. I think you're you're absolutely right, Georgia. One comment I I want to make here is that... um, if they are parents who are who know how to educate their child, who know how to stimulate that child to, you know, if they are individuals who can do that, my point is there are many parents out there who really need help and they need somebody to help them know how to mentor their child. So, um, yes, parenting very important. We need some parenting help. We need those home visits. We need support. Georgia, um, thank you for your call. And I agree, maternity leave, paternity leave even needs to be much longer. Um, final caller, let's go to Ken, uh, Ken, Ken, Kenzie in Mobile. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Hey, Kenzie, we have got about a minute. Tell us what your thoughts are. Uh, well, well, first first off, I, I want to acknowledge the fact that you guys are talking about something here in the South that uh, it's it's kind of a pain to even get anyone to approach this conversation. Yeah. But uh, uh, when it comes when it comes to all this, we we also uh, the social media movement is going to move things along far better than it ever has before. But uh, the system's set up to where the you know our our elected officials are are, are paid to ignore the cries of the citizens. And if you know, as, as long as the NRA is pumping out millions of dollars you know, buying our, you know, uh, how, how we choose to vote because of, you know, our elected officials, we're, you know, that has to stop. The lobbying is, is one of the, the main problems with this. You know, uh, I mean, good point. That's who's, yeah. that's who's funding the, the, everything is the NRA. Well, and the, the NRA is out there, but there are many other personal interest groups, um, you know, corporate groups who are out there pulling money away from what we really need to be, be spending money on. We don't have very many lobbyists out there for our young children, and that's what we need. Everybody needs to be out there. Um, thank you for all of you who got involved. Stay involved. You had some great comments out there today, and, and I want us to come up with a real movement. Today's show was engineered by our producer, Jay White. Our call screener was um, oh, Java Chapman. Oh, I'm sorry, Java, of course. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I got all riled up today. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. Stay tuned next for NPR's Here and Now, coming up on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.